United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky. We got a big time show today. We'll meet two of the founders of Soccer Resilience, Matt Spear and Dr. Brad Miller. We'll talk with Meg Linehan from The Athletic, and we'll talk to Fox Sports and former U.S. international superstar Alexi Lalas. And it begins with the folks from Soccer Resilience after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. If you listen to my show, you know I'm always eager to promote those people that want to do good things for the beautiful game, the game we love. I love the fact that the audience is growing and I love the fact that people like to reach out and say, hey, you should talk to this person or that person. And really today is a perfect example of not just that, but I'd like to say a ton of respect because Wells Thompson, who played for the Carolina Railhawks, and I've been the voice of that club for 15 years, reached out to me initially to say, hey, I've joined with three power players, and I know all of them. Matt Spear, 18-year head coach at Davidson, assistant coach, captain of the great Final Four team under the late, great Charlie Slagle. He was recently with the Richmond Kickers. He's part of Soccer Resilience. The aforementioned Wells Thompson is part of it. One of my all-time favorites for the North Carolina Courage, which I'm also the voice of, Jessica McDonald. She's been on this show a ton. And then psychologist Dr. Brad Miller is also on there. He's a former Wake Forest soccer player, so that means Austin Deleuze will have something to say about him being on there as well. So this should be a lot of fun. And today we have Matt Spear and Dr. Brad Miller. Welcome, both of you. Thank you, Dean. Great to be on. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, Matt, let's just start out initially with the who, and then also I want both of you to talk a little bit about how your, for lack of a better word, bios were the perfect sort of background and, and umph to get this soccer resilience going. Yeah, thanks, Dean. I'll start, and then Brad can carry on. The neat thing about Brad Miller and I is that we were youth club soccer teammates in Winston-Salem, North Carolina for Twin City Youth Soccer. It's now merged into NC Fusion, great club in North Carolina, triad area. And it's neat to do a project, gosh, some 35, 40 years later, giving back to the game, helping players, coaches, parents, athletes, and what we really feel is critical mindfulness and the strength and the importance of the brain in life and in soccer. But for me, yeah, played at Davidson, as you said, went into the business side of soccer, did a bunch of cool projects with Adidas, internet and broadcast related. That's where we overlap, Dean. And one project actually was for a couple of years, I was managing the United Soccer Coaches website when it was NSCA.com. So go back that long with such a great organization. Then became head coach at Davidson, 
had a lot of fun there working at my alma mater, giving back to the program that means so much to me. I was fortunate to get 10 wins over ACC teams and some players went on and played an MLS, but most importantly, they all graduated and stayed connected, which is so important in soccer relationships, right? And in the last two years, I was president of the Richmond Kickers pro soccer team. Five of my Davidson teammates actually bought the team and lured me in to start the turnaround in the next chapter of that storied franchise. I finished that in October after a really good season in Richmond and decided to throw myself full on into this venture and project with Wells Thompson and Dr. Brad Miller. Brad, why don't you give you a bit of your bio? Yeah, Dean, like Matt, grew up in Winston-Salem and went and played soccer at Wake Forest. And soccer, you know, throughout my life is always that place to go. It's the kind of because my therapy, a place to get away from things. And when I got to Wake, I had as a strong defender, but my technical skills were really low. And so I had a lot of work to do. I was really ready to kind of grind and persevere to try to climb the ladder. But I, I encountered something I'd never gone through before, and it was performance anxiety. And it just came out of nowhere, and it really impacted me and got in the way of my joy, my performance at times. And I could get it to go away, but it would always come back. And I never really told anybody what was going on. I just kind of suffered in silence. And when I graduated and went on to be a psychologist and started learning all these tools and strategies, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known those things, right? That somebody would have shared them with me or I would have reached out for help. And so I've been a psychologist now in San Diego for over 20 years. And I love working with athletes, uh, teens and adults and their families. And there's so many strategies that work. And about 10 years ago, I think I read Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, and just really shifted things. And my work with athletes, it really just grew. And I was like, I want to bring this to a bigger stage. So about three years ago, I started working with some teams in the San Diego area. And that was a lot of fun, a real passion for mine. And then just during the pandemic, had a chance to kind of reach out and connect with Wells. We connected and started doing some presentations together. And then we were like, hey, what about Matt? I'm like, I know Matt. And so we started talking with Matt. And then Matt kind of joined us. And John Blake as well as a great coach at Ledford High School is a huge part of what we do. And then Jessica McDonald has joined us recently. And we just have a fabulous team. And so my passion, Dean, is really all the things I went through. I'm on a mission to really help these players, not only to help them on the field, but off the field. And there's so many strategies that they can learn and take in that can really shift it for them. And that's how we have a passion. You know, it's kind of each time we present, we do a podcast. It's like if we can just help one person each time, we can really make an impact. And that's why I have so much passion about this. And you know, Matt will laugh and go, hey, Brad, did you think six months ago? Because I laughed, I said, my son and I, we're going to go put flyers up on cars in a turn. That's how we're going to get soccer resilience known. He's like, did you ever think we'd have a website? Did you think we'd be on this podcast? And so they like to bring that up and it always puts a smile on my face. I just feel very blessed and fortunate to be with a great team. That's the who of soccer resilience. Matt Spear, Dr. Brad Miller. He talked about Wells Thompson and the great Jessica McDonald winner of the last Women's World Cup. Let's get to the why. And the way I understand it, we'll start with you, Matt, is the reason you started soccer resilience is threefold. So perhaps you can take a couple of those and Dr. Miller can take one. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Jessica McDonald is, is our most recent addition, you know, World Cup champion, three-time NWSL champion, two-time NCAA champion down the road from you at UNC. Wells, you know, nine-year pro, MLS Cup champion, humanitarian of, of the year award winner at MLS and played at Wake Forest. So I just want to mention them that, that I'm humbled to be around such a great management group. You know, our why, yeah, I guess it is kind of threefold, you know, as former NCAA players who absolutely love and breathe the board of soccer, we all wish we had invested more mental training. 
and each of the founding four can, can raise their hands and honor the mental challenges they have faced and wish they had more mental training when they were a player and a coach and as parents now, which we all are. For me, you know, I've always believed in mindset and holistic well-being, and I've always tried to lead teams and organizations that way to, to think bigger than just X's and O's. But honestly, for me, my kind of vault into this is last year, I struggled mentally, really struggled mentally in the early part of 2020, like so many people did through the pandemic and the challenging and unparalleled obstacles we faced last year. And it really made me kind of center myself and realize that I wanted to focus on something like soccer resilience, learn about it and give back. Each of us have our story. Brad talked about his, his issues as, as, as dealing with some performance anxiety. Wells is, is really open about his struggles with some substance abuse in high school, a lot of depression and really hard times he had as a pro. And, and then Jessica's story of resilience is so captivating. I mean, a very humble and troubled background in childhood, you know, with her grandmother really leading the way and supporting her. Had to go to junior college for a couple of years, played three sports there, transferred to Carolina. Her very first pro game out of Carolina, she absolutely destroyed her knee. Doctor said no chance coming back to play. 18 months later, she comes back and plays and she's the first NWSL mother. And the list goes on with challenges of each of our lives. And then, you know, we, we kind of really started thinking about the game and the recognition that mental training has not been trained nearly enough. And it's so massively essential at the pro level. And now we feel like it should come down to the college and youth level as well. I'm a, a proud holder of the United Soccer Coaches Premier Diploma and the U.S. Soccer A License. The pillars of, of, of a soccer coach and a player in the game were always those technical, tactical, athletic, and psychological. But I felt like the psychological part has always gotten a little bit of lack of attention. And we believe that the psychological elements of the player and the coach in the sport are vital. And that's why we believe that strengthening your mind is as important as strengthening your skill, your tactics, and your athleticism. And there's so many pro athletes now that are really revealing their challenges and what they work on and how they do it and how they recognize the importance of the mind. There's a great quote by Messi. He says, some say this mental strength is 40, 50, or even 60% of our sport. He goes on to say, I suppose it also depends on each player, but I think it's vitally important. And I see a growing focus on this sort of preparation in the world of pro sports. And so you have, you know, the greatest of all time player emphasizing it. And we just feel it's, it's, it's critical mental training, particularly through a pandemic. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll just add to that, that, you know, Dean, something that we see so much, right? If you think about the performance part of soccer, that there will be players who put in countless hours, right, of training, extra training, fitness, nutrition, sleep, hydration, do all of these things. And yet sometimes when they get to the field, their brain is going to work against them. And now it's going to rob them of some of that skill and ability and joy. And we see that in moments. And there's a lot of things we can do to help players. And they just aren't really taught. They're taught, hey, push through, grind it out, stick with it. I think players are really good at that type of perseverance. But there are times when we're not able to persevere. And what do we do? And players just really aren't given those skills and strategies. And there's many, many simple tools and strategies. And that's a huge part of why we want to do this, because there really are practical things players can learn and apply that really help them have that resilience in those big moments, that poise that they need 
but it also helps them manage stress off the field. And that's just not getting as much attention because coaches have so much to do already. Matt can speak to that much better than me, but that's an enormously challenging job. The name of the company is Soccer Resilience. We're learning the who and the why, part of the why they just talked about. You had that great quote from Messi. I like the quote you also included from Rose Lavelle, who's also been our program, where she says the same way that we train our bodies, we need to train our minds. That says so much. And then, Matt, you kind of opened up. And, and by the way, as you tell the stories of the four main people behind the who, the name Soccer Resilience. I mean, I got chills, and I think I still have them, actually, as you guys open up and talk about what all of you have overcome, and including Jessica McDonald, as I know her story quite fondly, and she's amazing, So, and you, and you said she's amazing. But you also mentioned that because of this pandemic, the surging mental health crisis in our country, especially during a wild 2020 and enduring pandemic, has been tough. And you've got some great numbers to back it up. I'd like one of you to walk through that. Mental health has been a challenge. The National Institute of Mental Health has said that in the lifetime, about 50% of us are going to have some struggles with mental health at times. And it's just gotten worse with the pandemic. You know, there was a, a Gallup poll that came out that said that our mental health is the lowest it's been in 20 years. Teens, the amount for college athletes, the amount of anxiety and depression has just grown and really magnified. And before the pandemic, Dean, for teens, one in three would have an anxiety disorder by the time they're 18. One in five would have major depression before they're 18. And those numbers have just really grown during the pandemic. And in my work as a psychologist with soccer resilience and in my private practice as well, our brains are exhausted. We are worn out. Our brains are constantly trying to decipher what's going on you know our brains don't do well when there's uncertainty and there's been so much uncertainty constantly and we did, the brain's trying to figure it out that we're all going you know, I, I really don't know anybody who's focusing better <laughs> who's managing their emotion better who's regulating themselves better who can be at sort of that optimal place to do things as they were before the pandemic and so one of the beautiful things i love about our program is i think one of the things that we do that's so unique is we talk about those issues, but in the context of sports and in a group, and we really help these players, whether they're youth athletes, whether they're college or pro, understand that these are common things we're all going to go through, and we try to help them see this as a very normal part of life, and it's not to avoid these things, but it's to accept them and embrace them and have skills to manage them, and so I think what I love about our programs, we're addressing those mental health needs of all those athletes at every age while also helping peak their performance. Here's some information that Matt supplied us. Prior to COVID, 25% of student athletes reported depressive symptoms. An NCA survey in May 2020, that's not that long ago, says student athletes' rates of mental health concerns have increased by 150 to 250%. Unfortunately, many people suffer in silence as they do not grasp that they can take control and develop purpose. Today's players, coaches, and parents need support in strengthening their resilience on the pitch and in life. And then there's a quote from Robert Lewandowski, the 2020 FIFA World Player of the Year. Matt, I want to let you read that. And then off of that, that definitely means there is a what, right? We now know a who and why, but now we have to have a what, where we can educate. That's where soccer resilience comes in. But first, read that quote and then get into your what at soccer resilience. Yeah, will do, Dean. That, that quote by Lewandowski, you know, most people know a place for Bayern Munich. He says, whenever you open up about your problems instead of burying them inside, 
they instantly become easier to solve. That was a big, big step in my development as a footballer and as a human being, close quote. And that's just, you got top, top level people. You know, we quoted Messi, we quoted Lewandowski, and they go through tough times, just like, you know, normal kids do, normal parents do. One of the studies that I sent you is, is one of the quotes was from 81% of teens are saying, quote, it's time for Americans to talk more openly and honestly about mental health issues. Only one in three teens give themselves an A for their mental health during COVID. And then you got all these, like Brad talks about insecurity and, and having hard times with uncertainty, you know, not having their regular school, their regular training. You know, one of those, I had sessions last night with three youth teams, three Zoom high school age elite level player girls teams. And we talked a lot about COVID in the year and what we learned from it, what was difficult, what was challenging, but how we pivoted and, and hopefully can be better because of it. But these conversations are, are really, really important for people to have and people to share. Moving on to our what, if we can help in any shape or form with a little bit of a tidbit of education now and moving forward through our social media and our website and our program that we do with with clubs and teams and leaders. And Brad can really underline some of the things I'm going to talk about, but we really focus on the importance of, of the mind and the brain and how it triggers so much in our life. For me, all the reading that I'm doing and thinking about my own mind is I see it, the brain as the top of the waterfall where everything flows down from it. And your brain is trying to keep you alive, but then that's an important alarm, but it also has all these false alarms that end up having negative bias and, and, and worry and fear and stress. And that's normal, but that can quickly really, really go downhill and down a rabbit hole. And so bringing the mind back to a positive, constructive, mindful capacity is so important. And there's, there's tons of tools to do that. But Brad, you want to talk a little bit about kind of the psychological basis of what we're working with? Yeah, Dean, you know, one of the things that is such a powerful to give someone is to help them understand what's happening with them. We all know that experience of kind of being emotionally hijacked, right? All of a sudden, the strong emotions come over us. And that can be really good feelings sometimes, but it can be fear and worry and stress and anger and irritability. We don't always know why. And so what we love to do is when we work with a player or a team or a club is we want to really find out like, what do they want to improve on? Where they want to grow? We want to find out their strengths. We're a very strength-based company. We want to know what your strengths are. Where do you have success in those areas that are a struggle in other times? So sometimes like we take soccer that somebody might have more stress and anxiety in the last 10 minutes of a game, but they're very focused and alert and locked in for the first 80 minutes. So we try to figure out what's working for them and build on those strengths. But we really first want to educate them and help them become self-aware. And we talk about the brain in a very simple, straightforward way. And just let them know, as Matt said, the brain's number one job, Dean, is to keep you alive. And if the brain's not good at job number one, you don't really care how good it is at piano and art and golf and tennis and soccer and you know, wrestling, whatever it is, because you're not going to be around to enjoy it, right? The brain's got to be good at number one. And so helping them understand that for the brain to keep us alive, it's wired to focus on the negative way more than the positive. And it's also wired to notice and predict negative things that could go wrong way more than what could go right, right? About just an average person, average day, studies say around 80% of our thoughts are negative. So imagine what that's like when we're going through hardship. So we try to help them see this is what the brain does. The brain's trying to protect you, as Matt said, from danger, but the brain gets its wires mixed up and it thinks that rattlesnakes on the field is the same dangerousness as feeling embarrassed, 
are feeling discouraged, are feeling let down, right, from making mistakes. And so that's why so many players fear mistakes and worry about things going wrong because their brain is just going to load them up with all the things that could not go right. So the brain's like, wait a minute, you want to go play soccer and you can feel embarrassed, humiliated, or disappointed? No, we're not doing that. And so it makes us feel so uncomfortable. It's trying to talk us out of doing those things. So when we normalize that and go, yeah, of course you're nervous. So brains do, but here's what you can do to get control back. And we really focus on how to get your mind back to a better place. As Matt said, there's breathing techniques and mindfulness, way to kind of meditation to bring yourself back and you can learn to strengthen your brain. So when you have those moments and not if, but when you have those moments, you have real practical ways you're training your brain to bring you back to the present where you wanna be. And so we help them understand this is what happens to you what changes in the body, what changes in the mind, and here's how you bring it back. And we really talk a lot about their belief system and their thoughts. You know, as Matt said, top of the waterfall, what we believe and what we think has an enormous impact on what we feel. And it's how we interpret events that's really what causes us so much distress rather than the events themselves. We give them all those tools and strategies. We help them really kind of lock into that purpose and say, this is why I'm doing it. And some players, Dean, they have it. They locked into it. They know it and they have that, but some don't really know. We kind of ground them because we know that when you have a strong sense of purpose, that's going to help you outlast and outperform people who don't. And when that purpose also involves a group like a team, now you're going to excel even further. So now that they've got a sense of taking control of their mind and their body, they've got a good sense of purpose. Now we're going to help them really hone in and strengthening their perseverance. As we said, most people can persevere, but there are those situations that are just harder for us. And we give them extra tools and strategies to really stick with it, even when it's hard. And we help them understand, Dean, that feeling scared and stressed and worried and overwhelmed, it's normal. We hear professional athletes talk all the time, oh my gosh, I was so nervous, my heart's pounding through my chest. And they go, really? Yeah, of course pros feel that way, but they use strategies to manage it. And then we take all that together and say, now we have all these tools and skills. Let's help you enhance your performance through practice, through games. And we perform all in all areas of our life. It's not just soccer, right? We perform socially. We perform on tests. We perform trying to you know, get my license or you know, meeting people for the first time, job interviews. So all of these things translate off the field, just like on the field. And that's really our four pillars of soccer resilience. So glad that you put a capper on the four pillars as we're here with Dr. Brad Miller and Matt Spear, two of the several great founders for soccer resilience, talking about an issue that's so important right now. And that is your mental strength and the ability to open up and talk about it. And now we got to know the how, your services, because you can help youth clubs, you can help colleges, you can help pro teams. There's a lot of entities you can help. So talk about your services. Brad alluded to some of our foundational four pillars. Those are listed on our Soccer Resilience website. So people can already pick up things, from, learn from us. The idea of taking control, develop purpose, fuel perseverance, and enhance performance. Those are kind of our four pillars. And that's what we try to do was walk these clubs and, and teams that we're working with through those pillars and give them uh, strategies and tools like like Brad talked about, about take control. There's so many ways to do that, right? Meditation, Kobe Bryant said that he meditated every single day and it, it was his anchor. People need some help. They need some outside influences. There's a Rose Lavelle quote, I'll continue. She said, when it comes to calming my nerves that do come up, she uses a breathing technique that her sports psychologist helped her overcome injuries and to get her mind in a good place and just handling the pressure of soccer and training. 
But yeah, in terms of our services, we work with different groups. Um, this is a, a startup. This is the new entity. So we're really in a, on a really exciting opportunity to grow this and help people. I would put out Charlotte Independent Soccer Club as kind of our standard bearer and our first really important partner on the youth club side. We do webinars, Zoom sessions with their top 30 boys and girls teams from U13 to U19, where we really get into it for 45 minutes to an hour with these teams. I had three last night as I was talking to you about, we share thoughts and videos and quotes and we interact with them when we ask them, what's your purpose? Why do you play soccer? How can we help you develop affirmations and mantras to develop you as a player and a person? How do you mentally prepare for practice in a game? There's so many things that we can give these players just to open up and for them to share with us. So I think, you know, in terms of youth clubs, Charlotte Independence is a great one. And we will add more youth clubs, you know, moving forward on, on, on that. So, you know, webinars, coaching tools, club-wide videos, those kinds of things we can do. We'll do the same thing for college men's and women's programs. And then we'll do the same thing for pro players and teams as well. So we just announced yesterday a great, exciting partnership with a, an agency called First Wave Sports International. And they represent players uh, mainly in the U.S., but some abroad as well. And they've signed us up as mindset advisors for their pro players, where, again, we'll be doing these webinars, these Zoom sessions with their pro players, and then be able to do some coaching one-on-one -on -one outside of that per their particular needs. The other thing we're getting ready to launch is a Team Talk webinar series. It'll start with this upcoming Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, with World Cup champion Jessica McDonald giving her incredible life journey. And she'll be able to answer questions and provide tips and then I'll be on the following Sunday talking about various topics that are really important to me in terms of modern leadership, holistic well-being, how that impacts the game, coaches, players, parents. So I think, you know, working with clubs, college, pro, a team talk webinar series, these are some of the things that we're, we're starting to really get into. These things apply across age groups and we, you know, kind of tweak and adjust it based even within teams at what they need in, in those age groups. And so there's um, you know, Wells would talk a lot about how he wished he had gotten these things as a pro. Um, so no matter what level we're playing at, we all can benefit from these strategies and skills. Now, I know that uh, individual subscriptions for players for your curriculum is coming out soon. Exclusive content is also going to launch soon as you guys build your business. But right now, how can we find out more or contact you, Dr. Miller, Matt Spear, Wells Thompson, Jessica McDonald, anybody at Soccer Resilience to get going? Yeah, so the easy answer is soccerresilience.com. That's kind of the hub for us, obviously, for anybody. You know, we have social media with Soccer Resilience as well, with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The other good thing that I would suggest is folks, when they go to our website, there'll be a pop-up window that they can sign up for our weekly message of resilience. We call it First Touch. And it's a, it's a really good email, comes out Monday morning, has lots of links and videos, not just produced by us, but others that we go out and seek and then merge together to provide people. And so I think our first touch newsletter is a really good thing for, for anybody involved in the game to, to sign up for. And then we have our own YouTube channel with over 25 videos from ourselves that we are adding to on a weekly basis. So those can include tips for players, parents, coaches, that we go a little bit deeper and talk about. Um, they're short videos, they're, they're bite-sized, if you will, you know, five minutes-ish, but then they hopefully will uncover people to research more and think about how they can develop their mental game, their mindset, their mental fitness. You know, I, I kind of go back to some things that we've focused so much on as a, as a developing soccer nation, 
about our technical and tactical and physical. And I just feel like this psychological piece is kind of the great unknown. It's more important now than ever. We're learning with our players, with our parents, with our coaches, uh, starting these conversations are really, really important to empower people to not just in their soccer, but stress that they have, anxiety, depression, all these things are elevating and increasing in these troubled times. And so we want to be a service. We want to work with people to help them to be their best. In my years as a psychologist, I think one of the most powerful things is when someone's going through a struggle, right, that you can help them know that these are common things people go through. You help them understand how it's happening, why it's happening, and how the brain kind of works to do that. And then you give them tools and strategies and to watch somebody hang in there, persevere when things are tough and have these tools and strategies and then start to feel so much more empowered and control themselves and independent and I can manage it and I can do it. It's an incredible thing to watch and to see grow. And we have such a unique way to reach so many of these players who might be reluctant to do it in a one-on-one setting at times, but through some of these different ways that we offer the services we offer it really can open them up and engage and see that this is applying to all athletes. And that is such an important thing right now because we're all just having a lot of struggles. I want to end with this. I'm going to give the website one more time, soccerresilience.com. Here is my question. You each will have about 30 seconds, if not less, to answer it because I want people to be left with this. We'll start with you, Matt Spear. I joined Soccer Resilience because why? I think that the mental piece of performance is something we've underestimated. And I think that failure happens all the time and we can embrace that and be better people, better leaders, better parents, better coaches. It's time for us as a soccer nation to really turn the corner. And I'm, you know, firmly believer that we can be a pivotal piece in that, in that improvement and that growth and that awareness. Dr. Brad Miller, you joined forces with Matt Spear, with Wells Thompson, with Jessica McDonald. You mentioned a couple other fine people as well. You wanted to do this. Why? There is nothing more powerful than being able to feel in control of your thoughts and emotions and to be able to feel like you are prepared to handle the difficult challenges that come your way. So when the beautiful moments come to you, when the joyful moments come to you, you're in a mental place, an emotional place where you can embrace them and absorb them. So that is our mission at Soccer Resilience. Make no mistake, we all need help, especially during this time, and Soccer Resilience is ready to help. SoccerResilience.com. Dr. Brad Miller, Matt Spear, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, Dean. Once again, that's SoccerResilience.com. I want to thank Matt Spear and Dr. Brad Miller. We're not done talking soccer. We'll talk women's soccer with Meg Linehan, an outstanding writer for The Athletic. She knows all you need to know about the NWSL and the U.S. women's soccer team. Meg Linehan, when we return, and then after her, the great number 22, Alexi Lalas. Did I mention this is a great show? We'll see you after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. 
This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right, you can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer. And again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap NWSL has started camp. I think Meg Linehan does as good a job as anybody covering the NWSL and women's soccer. She's now in her second year as a national staff writer for The Athletic. Meg, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, delighted to talk to you. First off, big news coming out of the North Carolina Courage front office with the announcement of Naomi Osaka, the talented tennis player, joining the ownership group with Steve Malik. Tell me your thoughts on that news. I mean, it's huge, both from a Courage point of view, obviously, but also from an NWSL point of view. And I think that Naomi Osaka coming in has been such a proof, right, of the NWSL got so much attention last summer, thanks to the entrance of Angel City FC and their ownership group, right? Like led by Natalie Portman and having all of these former players and celebrities involved. And then I think a lot of folks around the league were kind of going, okay, great. Like we love this investment. We love the energy. How about everyone that's already here? And so we're now finally starting to see that that payoff right of having all that attention come into the league of understanding that there are teams already existing that can use investment and further investment and further it's not just investment either it is also their platform and their attention and their care so I think it's really exciting both from a North Carolina point of view, obviously, but also an NWSL point of view. A little bit later after you, Alexi Lawless will come on and we'll end with uh, some comments from him on the NWSL. He believes that these players that are going overseas eventually will return and NWSL will remain the best league in the world. What are your thoughts? Are these players going over there and staying over there or will they return, Meg? So I've actually written about this a couple of times. I am definitely not in panic mode yet. I think it provides an opportunity for the NWSL. And the question is, is the NWSL going to kind of view this as not necessarily even a wake-up call? I don't know if it's even at that level because the pandemic has forced some hands for players, but Europe has an appeal. And like, you just can't deny it. There's Champions League. There are teams like Manchester United or Manchester City where the brand is so much stronger than any NWSL team, right? Totally valid. I think every single player gets to make their individual decision. But the challenge that now is set for the NWSL is this league loves to talk about how they think that they're the best in the world. And I think that's up for debate. I think an easier thing to, to measure is, is the NWSL trying to force itself as the league of choice for players, both American and international? Are you attracting the next Marta? Are you attracting the next Christine Sinclair? And are you keeping them 
in the end of your cell. And that's not necessarily about gameplay. That's about facilities, salaries, free agency, all of these things that you can actually really measure. So that's how I'm trying to approach it because I think that that's far more understandable than kind of, there is very much this panic of like, people are going to Europe and we're never going to get them back. And, and the NWSL is dead now. And that we're just, we're not seeing that at all. So <laughs> that's, that's my approach. What are you seeing and hearing about the start? There's little news kind of circulating out. The Challenge Cup will be in home stadiums, mm -hmm. and then they'll start the season. What definitive news do you have on how the season will look when it starts? Yeah, I mean, right at the moment, we are kind of thin on details, but Challenge Cup in home markets, we have a start date for that, which is April 9th. We know that the regular season is going to start May 15th, no Olympic break, regular season concludes October 30th, playoffs in November. And then we do have the date for the expansion draft for both Angel City FC and Sacramento in December. But when it comes to the actual format of the season, I mean, I don't think the regular season is going to change too much. Every team is going to play 24 games. It's really just a matter of dates. But Challenge Cup is going to be interesting just because now we have 10 teams in theory, all 10 teams will be able to play. So I think that they will have to change the format of that a bit, especially with games in home markets. You're not going to be able to play kind of a normal tournament style tournament, you know, the, the way that they did in Utah, essentially. So I think that we're going to probably see some changes there, but we have not yet gotten format details on that front. Kind of in line with the news of Osaka joining the Courage ownership, of course, the Courage prior to last year, the COVID year and, and it's tough calling that last year, the COVID year, cause we're still dealing with COVID, yeah. obviously, right. But uh, the North Carolina courage didn't win the challenge cup. They didn't win the fall series, Houston and Portland took those two. Portland seems to always find their way there, but I get the feeling that a lot of people feel like part of the reason the courage did it is they want to make sure that the, they have the wherewithal to remain up there near the top. I also get the feeling that the balance of power could be shifting and it could be anybody. Of course, a lot of eyes are on <laughs> Chicago with a lot of their additions. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm really interested to see what North Carolina looks like because I think that people have been waiting for a while for them to come back down to earth a bit. And I think that that, has maybe started to happen, but also knowing the technical stuff in North Carolina and knowing their ability to, to find and add talent to this team. I also just firmly believe that you probably should never write North Carolina off unless you would like to do so at your own peril. But I think that Portland has made a lot of changes to that team, essentially to both keep up with North Carolina and surpass them, there is that one result where North Carolina went to Portland and beat them 6-0. And I think that has spurred on a lot of changes, but, you know, adding players like Becky Sauerbrunn, like Crystal Dunn, right? And, and number one draft pick, Sophia Smith. There's been a lot of work there. So I, I definitely think that this is going to be a very interesting season simply because also we've got expansion teams coming in, Kansas City uh, essentially being a relocated team from Utah, Right. I think that there's going to be more competition at the top than we have probably seen in a while. Washington Spirit are trying to build a team to win right now. I think Chicago remains a contender. OL Reign now has, you know, apparently players coming in from Lyon. Right. So I think we are really going to see a much tighter race at the top in 2021. 
Let's switch gears, but then kind of tie it together. I'm totally confused on what's going on with U.S. national team players and their salaries versus <laughs> yeah. the salaries for NWSL. Can you clear any of that up? I can attempt to. Okay, so usually what happened is with U.S. national team players, they would be allocated by U.S. soccer and their salaries would be paid as, as predicated by the collective bargaining agreement between U.S. soccer and the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association. Now, from 2019 on, the NWSL introduced a concept of allocation money. So, unfortunately, we have to deal with two terms that are extremely similar with allocated players, but allocation money. And they are not related. Except now, as part of the shift, because the, the relationship between U.S. soccer and the NWSL is changing, U.S. soccer used to be the managing partner. That relationship has changed. Lisa Baird confirmed that in a call with media uh, right before the draft. The shift is starting. It is not complete. There will still be U.S. soccer allocated players for this season, which have not been announced yet. But they have also not confirmed news yet that I have reported where U.S. players can choose to sign directly with their NWSL teams. So players like Crystal Dunn, Lindsey Horan in Portland are both now on new contracts that use NWSL allocation money and are no longer U.S. soccer allocated players. So that shift is happening. It has not been fully announced yet, but hopefully that is a slightly better explanation. But it is, it is certainly a little more complicated than I think any of us truly care for. I guess the biggest question, will it be equal for all of those national team players or will they be able to cut their own deals? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the intent is that every single player is negotiating on their own, right? Like it's essentially you're dealing with your team. And so now teams will, are also able to say like, okay, we want to put someone like Crystal Dunn on a two or three year contract and we want to, you know, make sure that we pay her the right value. So according to my sources, Haran and Dunn are on fairly similar, if essentially equal contracts, but that is not necessarily the case. You know, if a, if a different national team player goes to their NWSL team and wants to negotiate, there's no guarantee of like, oh, you're going to make this certain amount of money. It's every, every player is now essentially going to be able to test their value within the NWSL. Here with Meg Linehan, national staff writer for The Athletic, does such a great job covering the NWSL and women's soccer, among other things. Okay, we are starting to gear up for the Olympics, and all the talk is going to be on what is added pressure for Vladko to narrow down his roster to 18 because the team is loaded, and they're also got some Tom Brady-esque type players that <laughs> – even as they get older, they look fantastic, right? But, you know, mm -hmm. the five names that keep coming up are Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath because of the injury. Otherwise, she wouldn't be on there. She would definitely be automatic. Kristen Press and then Krieger and then also Ashlyn Harris. I mean, players that were on the World Cup team that are now considered on the bubble, but then Carly Lloyd and Rapino looked outstanding. Of course, everybody did against Columbia. So what's your take on how many of those veterans have one more run at an Olympics? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is She Believes Cup, I think, is going to be a little more instructive than the games against Columbia, right, which I think everybody anticipated. And it's not quite the extent of the tournament that we've seen before. It's some different competition. But I think, you know, matches against Canada are always going to be <laughs> pretty intense. So I think that will be a pretty good indicator. I think Brazil especially is a good test run for the Olympics. But I, I am very curious because, you know, 
even in a, like, let's say the Olympics went ahead as normal, right? The shift between a world cup year and an Olympic year is always painful from a roster point of view. I mean, I think about the shift between 2015 and 2016 and we, we saw Heather O'Reilly, right. Make it as an alternate for the, that roster, but not on the full roster. So that's kind of always been where you start to get into problems with you're not able 23 players have to go down to 18, no matter what. And so Jill Ellis, I think got some retirements in 2015 that maybe helped make that decision a little bit easier, but there's still some pain there. So, you know, I think the first thing that Vlako Andonovsky said on his media call after she believes cup roster was don't read into it. Right. He's still in experimenting mode. Um, he said, I didn't get a full 2020. I'm still taking looks at players. Don't think, okay, whoever's not on this roster isn't making the Olympic roster. So I did think, you know, players, Megan Rapino looked totally fine and, and good uh, in her matches against Columbia. I think someone like Ali Krieger really performed, actually, I thought very, very well in that second match against Columbia. So I think, you know, he's just honestly got an embarrassment of riches. And at some point, it's just, it's going to come down to performance. And the question is, because this, especially the pool for forwards is so deep there are going to be names that are either named as alternates or left off this roster. And we're going to be shocked, but that's also just speaking to the quality of the U S women's national team. One name I forgot to say is Alex Morgan, who of course yeah. is back from her pregnancy. So she's got a bigger hill to climb too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we have not seen Alex Morgan back at like full Alex Morgan powers yet. And also she missed January camp and friendlies after testing positive for COVID-19. So there's also that, although Andonovsky was extremely clear on the media call that, you know, she has gone through all of the medical protocols. There appear to be no side effects whatsoever, lingering effects of COVID-19. So, I mean, that is obviously very good news, but it just means that she's got some extra time now to make up for from already kind of having to get back in the picture and, and back into the swing of things with this team. But I mean, I also think that there are certain names where you're just kind of like, all right, if, if they have, you know, five, six months still to get back in the form, it does seem like general consensus would be like, you just give them that time and they're likely going to make the roster. Obviously, I felt like the NWSL and U.S. soccer has uh, been out front and done as good a job as any organization with the Black Lives Matter and social injustice issues. They also have been very good uh, with the LGBTQ issues. Uh, earlier this week, Crystal Dunn made an announcement that said she wanted to be the face of U.S. soccer. What do you know about what that means? I mean, I think that it's Crystal Dunn has never really she's won NWSL. So MVP award, right? I mean, her, her 2015 and NWL was absolutely spectacular, but when you think about the face of us soccer, the first names coming to mind are all going to be white players. And that is kind of just how it has been with us soccer, like, and soccer in this, uh, in this country is kind of essentially a, a white people's sport to some extent. So I think with crystal Dunn, you know, she's also, been pretty pretty upfront about how folks talk about her game right like there is more to crystal dunn as a player than speed or physicality i mean she is first of all the most versatile player on the team but second of all one of the most intelligent players on the team and i think also we got to watch 
that intelligence in real time as she basically also learned how to become a fullback <laughs> on a World Cup winning team and start to adjust to positioning and, and all sorts of things like that. So for Crystal Dunn, I mean, arguably she is, if not the best player on the team, one of the best players on the team. And so it's not just, am I the face of it, but Am I getting the same sponsorship opportunities as my teammates? Am I getting the same negotiating abilities as my teammates when I'm dealing with contracts? You know, it's all of this kind of bigger stuff beyond just when fans think of this team as my name, the first one that comes to mind. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. And I think there's also a lot of work to be done, both in terms of U.S. soccer, NWSL, but also media and fans and the way that we approach and talk about this team. Very good. All right. Because Alexi, I did 90% covering the men, but I like the fact that he stays involved with the women. I'm going to at least end with you talking about the men in the sense <laughs> that, you know, the women have gotten all the attention and granted it was Trinidad and Tobago, but forget who they're playing. The fact now that we're talking about, you know, as Alexi was saying, maybe a hundred quality players where all along the men have always had like 11 to 15, you know, pretty good players, but it was hard to fill out the roster. I mean, they are loaded. I mean, the Olympic team could be the World Cup team. That's how young and talented they are. From where you sit covering the women, are you noticing what's going on with the men? And you feel like um, it's kind of good for U.S. soccer to have a men's team that can start getting some attention like the women? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, you know, obviously I cover U.S. soccer as part of my role simply because the U S women's national team doesn't exist in a vacuum. So also just considering the resources that's, that's first and foremost, but I think it's also good just from a culture and development point of view, but also, you know, when I think about the technical staffs, right? Like Kate Markgraf doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like she's not out here being like, I'm only out here looking out for the U S women's national team. Like she works within a system with Ernie Stewart and the rest of that technical staff. And there there's clearly alignment happening on both sides of the house. So I think it is really important to keep both sides of, you know, the senior or, or youth national teams in, in sight of each other, because I think that they might not necessarily have a lot of overlap, but I think that they do to some extent inform each other just in terms of, you know, you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel on some of this stuff. So Hopefully the, the men's national team program is looking at the women's national team program and saying like, oh yeah, we can duplicate that. We can, you know, we can learn from them on X, Y, Z. And the women's national team program is doing the same thing, especially when it comes to resources and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I have watched men's national team games, right? Like I, I grew up a Revs fan. So for me, having Matt Turner get his uh, debut in the, for the men's national team was a nice little surprise. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I, I think that you have to look at U S soccer as a whole in order to put both the men and the women in the right context. So well said. And I love the story of Matt Turner and him saving the penalty kick, but speaking of stories, I love all of your stories, Meg, you do really fantastic work. I absolutely love it and you need to be saluted for it. And I'm hoping that I can make you a semi-regular on this program. <laughs> You're so good on the podcast as well. Let's end with people just knowing where they can reach you on Twitter or Instagram if you want to share. Sure. It's same handle, both both places. It's just at it's Meg Linehan, since there are other Meg Linehans out there in the world. So I had to distinguish myself somehow. <laughs> 
It's Meg Lenahan, and we're so glad she's on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thanks for being with me, Meg. Thank you. We're not done. Alexi Lalas, U.S. International Hall of Famer, big timer with Fox. He covered the USA Trinidad and Tobago game. The U.S. men's national team is looking incredible. So many young superstars. Alexi Lalas will talk about that and so much more after this message. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, a regular. He is Alexi Lalas, one of my all-time favorites. Number 22, you see in my office, the World Cup autographed signed jersey, and Alexi Lalas is right there on there. Alexi, with Fox, thanks for being with us, my man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, well, you just came off the game with USA. It was on Fox. I thought you were brilliant in the studio, and that's why I wanted to reach out. You're always brilliant, by the way, Alexi, although I am a sycophant, but um, <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Uh, but you you really did call it right. I mean, let's go ahead and level the playing field. Trinidad, they were a mess. But all things considered, when you were talking about the depth of this team and these youngsters and how good they are, like when I was with you for Barcelona – we had 15 really good players and you were one of them, 94, 22 really good players. But now you can say we're getting up near a hundred incredible players, right? It's, it's a great time for, to be a soccer fan. And to be quite honest, it's a great time to be a soccer player in the United States and with the world at your disposal. Um, to, to your point, we've had, we've had good players in the past, great players in the past, but the sheer number and the depth, and therefore, the competition that exists right now, that's what's fun. That's what's amazing. And that's what's going to drive this, uh, drive this forward. So if you're, if you're Greg Berhalter, I'm, I'm going to use the word problems, but these aren't problems. As Tata Martino uh, used to say, these are champagne problems. And if you went and you asked, um, let's see, back in our day, right? Uh, so all the way from Bob Gansler to Bora Militinovich to Steve Sampson to Bruce Arena to Bob Bradley to Jurgen Klinsmann, would they like to have this problem, quote unquote problem? Oh, they would take it in a second. These are, these are good things. And now Greg Berhalter's job isn't necessarily all the X's and O's. That's part of it. But it's also the management of all of this, uh, this talent and making sure that he finds a way to get the best collection of, player, uh, of players on the field as opposed to just the best players. It's not about the best players on a national team. It's about the best collection. And I also liked how you tied in the Olympics because going back to 92 when I thought your team was outstanding, we've got to make a push in the Olympics and this is the year to do it, right? How do you manage all of that? I guess how does Greg and, and Jason, how do they manage yeah. all that together? I mean, it's such a wasted opportunity, Dean, over the last couple of uh, cycles that, uh, you know, the, the core of the 94 team actually matriculated out of that 92 Olympic team, myself and Kobe Jones and Mike Lapper and, and uh, uh, Brad Friedel, and, uh, the list goes on and on and on. And with the 
with the delay now of a year for the uh, Olympics, it almost makes it even more important. We were talking to Greg Berhalter. He was laughing. He said, look, we conceivably could send our first team as a, a national team as our Olympic team. That's how young and good the, 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 the talent is out there. But I think this is a real opportunity. Jason Christ was at the game. He was on the bench for him to assess this talent and for a number of players to go through a tournament setting, which is important because as much as we talk about how talented this team is, for the most part, a lot of them have never been through a World Cup qualifying process. And that's a whole nother world. So at least have them go through the qualifying, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And then if they qualify, go through a tournament setting that's just going to blood them a little bit more. And a lot of these young players, I think we're going to see a lot of the players that we see on the Olympic team. I know it's going to be mostly MLS based, but I think a lot of those players are going to graduate and be something that Greg Berhalter and company keep an eye on for the national team. So do you think we're at a place now where there'll be no veterans that you won't see a name like Bradley or you won't see a name like Altador. I mean, do you think like in this next World Cup cycle, there's a chance those names won't be there or can they still be involved? Man, I, I hate to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, you know, when you talk about I me, mean, look, the reason, first off, someone like Josie Altador is still involved and that's not a good thing necessarily because, because there's just nobody that's stepped up and taken his place right now. And that's how good Josie is, but that's also the reality of the situation. And Josie's body, we know it isn't what it used to be. And so you can't rely on him. If he's healthy, it's great. I have no problem starting him. And I think he could continue on. Michael Bradley, you know, now he's got to find a way into that midfield. That's very, very crowded with some very, very good players here. And I'm not saying that they can't be important. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what Greg is thinking in terms of, in terms of that. I, I would, if I was looking at it, I would think long and hard about why you would take one of those players and what role you got to really articulate it and define it ahead of time for that player. So there's no expectations that aren't fulfilled going forward. If it's just a rah-rah type of guy that's been there, that's not going to cause you problems in the locker room that understands he's not going to play a whole lot. That's great. But not every player is like that. If it's a guy that you literally need to lead on and off the field and kind of be that, uh, that experienced uh, signpost that everybody turns to, that's a different story. I'm not saying that Michael Bradley can't do it, but then there's part of me that says, you know what? We just need to kind of start anew after what happened last time and just have this whole young generation, because I do think they have ownership. I do think they see an opportunity to kind of right the wrong of the past and do it in their own way and kind of plant their own flag. I want to give them that opportunity. And sometimes when you have those remnants from the past, it, it isn't as easy. It's funny, you talk about planting your flag because late in that game, a game that was already a mess, you got like guys like Mueller and DK coming in, and I was excited to see them, but the game was kind of messy, and I even thought they were good. You know what I mean? Like, I even think that they're worth making the roster, but you can't keep everybody, right? You can't. I mean, I was talking to my friend Stu Holden uh, yesterday, and you know, he, he, he has this, this dream of possibly seeing all of these players that we were talking about come into a camp. Uh, if let's say they're all healthy and then actually splitting them up and just seeing that interest squad scrimmage and see, see what that, see what that looks like. But if there's somebody, there's going to be some good players and maybe even some great players that aren't on the national team for whatever reason. And that's, that's Greg's ultimate job is to be able to decide. And I know from an American perspective, we think about that and it blows our minds, but that's okay. That's actual progress. When we have so much talent that some very, very good talent just isn't going to fit going forward. And, you know, that's, that, it's a puzzle right now that has to be pieced together. And by the way, just because somebody is playing here or has a great resume or is making a lot of money or is famous doesn't necessarily mean that they, uh, that they are right 
in the long term for that position. So it'll be interesting. And look, there's a lot of games and we got a lot of tournaments and stuff like that. So there'll be options to kind of have different versions of this national team as we go forward. But I'm looking at it ultimately in that game, that game that we need to win, that game that we're playing against an opponent that is better than us, not, not Trinidad to Vega or anything like that, or to be honest, most of the stuff we're going to face. But that moment when we need someone and a, a team to step up, what does that ultimate 11 look like? I don't know at this point. Knowing that he's got this caviar or champagne now, I'm wondering what you know about Coach Burhalter's development. Because early on when he first started, and it was almost like it wasn't there, the champagne and caviar, or he was just so stuck on the kind of system that he was going to play. He was getting crucified. He was getting crushed. And the team didn't play that well, really. And now it looks like it's less about system and more to use you, your words, use the caviar and the and the champagne and let him go play. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's just going to throw out the ball. Uh, he has to manage. Uh, I, I do think that he is a romantic. I do think that he uh, is a true believer in the way that he wants to play, especially playing out of the back and possession first and all that. But we really we don't get a chance to see that manifest because the U.S. doesn't play enough games against teams that are of their level or more importantly, better than them or teams that press them in a consistent way or teams that outpossess them on a, in a consistent way. So it's going to be real hard to judge. But I do believe that at his core, he believes that this is the way the game should be played. And more importantly, he believes that if the U.S. is going to progress, that is the style in which they have to play. Um, but, you know, like, like any coach, he's going to get judged on wins and losses. Uh, if we win a men's World Cup, people aren't going to stand on principle. People are going to say, we won a World Cup. If we win it by bunkering in and defending and countering uh, uh, like, like banshees or anything, I mean, nobody cares ultimately unless you win. Um, but I do think that Greg Berhalter, it, it, and knowing who he is as a person and as a coach, there is a part of him that does care how it actually gets done. And I, I love that about him. You know, I can, I can agree and disagree with different coaches, but I want you to believe in what you're doing. If you don't believe in it, then why should I believe it or anybody else? Fair enough. Okay. So your predictions, Alexi Lalas for the team in Olympics and for the team in world cup qualifying your predictions. Well, I think we qualified in both of those uh, campaigns. And so that would, from an Olympic perspective, that's a big thing because you haven't done that now for a couple of cycles. We got this thing coming up yet again uh, in Guadalajara with Jason Christ. And we've talked about the talent that he has. Some of it won't, he won't, won't be available to him. And keep in mind that the Olympics now, you also get three overage players. And that'll be interesting to see if, if, if it, if it happens, what I say, what I think it's going to happen is, is they qualify, then you get to pick those three overage players. And who will that be with an eye to, to, to 2022 and an eye to 2026? Anyway, so I think they qualify there. And then I think that we write that wrong. And not only do we qualify, but we, bre uh, we breeze through uh, qualification for the 22 World Cup. You heard it right here from Alexi Lalas. Okay, let's switch gears just for a moment. Let's go to MLS. You guys were very astutely calling it now a seller's league where you're actually selling players. MLS is, you were excited by that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, these, these, these are heady days here where we're seeing not just MLS players, but even MLS players with, with minimal experience being looked at as, as not just assets in terms of the value, but we are extrapolating it out and others are, and especially big clubs and saying, yeah, we're going to spend the money and we're going to bring those players over. Now there's a little element in terms of all these loans that are going on right now, relative to the CBA negotiations and all that. Uh, but this is, this is good. We, we've, we talk so much about being relevant. We talk so much about credibility and the fact that the world is opening up their, not just their hearts and minds, but also their, their, 
you know, their wallets uh, and their pocketbooks out there and recognizing that there is talent to be had at an affordable price that's not going to give you problems that you can then uh, foster and even sell on later on if you want to do something that if you're a small club and you want to do something like or if you're a big club, this is a good talent in the same way that you know, players from uh, from Africa or players uh, from other uh, other places around the world have often been looked at. They're starting to look at North American players in the same way. And that's a that's a, a good thing. And that's a change because for a long time, it wasn't necessarily that that the talent wasn't there. It's just the talent wasn't given the opportunity and the credibility from the outside wasn't seen. And that changes with time. Finally, Alexi, and this will only get me a cup of coffee, but one of the things I've really liked about you in your role is you've stood up and said, hey, when the women have games, I want to be in the studio. Yes, there's going to be 90% women talking about the women's sport. That's fair. But I like that you're there and I like that you have a voice and I like that you don't hold back that voice. So with that, the dynamic is changing. NWSL, the top players in the U.S. are going over to Europe. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I know it's going to make the other countries better, which will mean the USA has to be better. But how do you feel about that? And what does that mean for the future of the NWSL and the future of the national team? Well, first off, I talk about soccer, whether it's men's, women's or co-ed naked, doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. The same, <laughs> I'm going to do the same way. And if you play well, I'm going to praise you. And if you play poorly, I'm going to criticize you probably. And that that applies to the U.S. women's national team or NWSL uh, or women's soccer or men's soccer or any, anything else. So I. I have I've made a point of not changing the way that I do it. And I think that that in and of itself, that's the, you know, that's, that's a form of respect. You don't want me to pull punches, you know, when I'm talking about the women's game and, and I don't, and I have such a great time when I, uh, when I'm covering the U S women and obviously it's, it's, you know, a great team that wins world cups and, and dominates. So it's a, it's a very different type of dynamic when we're coming the men's versus the women, but that's, that's a good thing when it comes to the women's game in the United States and NWSL, this has been, I think a, a needed wake up call for the NWSL. Look, this is arguably the best league, uh, uh, women's league in the world. Um, but that can very quickly change, especially when the rest of the world decides to catch up and with very limited resources, it can, can make up a lot of ground with the existing infrastructure that they all already have. You know, some of this is players just wanting to have that European vacation and kind of go over and see what it's all about. And that's, that's fair enough. And they'll be back though. Others that might find that this is a lifestyle and climate uh, and on and off the field that I really want to have, but it, it it's, it's a reminder to NWSL that it, it doesn't necessarily last forever. And if you rest on your laurels and you don't keep up and in, in this world, we're competing with the rest of the world. If you don't keep up, you will kill that golden goose. Uh, and so I think that that's an, that's an important thing as NWSL goes forward. I still think that it's going to be attractive both to domestic players and to international players, but the rest of the world is starting to catch up in terms of the amount of money that they're putting in and the focus that they are putting on women's soccer. And by the way, that's a good thing. It, while it might make it, uh, for more competition from a U.S. perspective, from a global perspective, this is it. We want all nations and all countries and cultures putting money into women's soccer so that the national teams get better, so the uh, the uh, the uh, domestic leagues get better. And I have more to talk about when it comes to soccer. Like I said, whether it's men, women, or co-ed naked. By the way, <laughs> co-ed naked. We should televise that. Someone watch that. Right? <laughs> Uh, I think I think that's allowed on this podcast. I'm not sure, but I think I'm going to leave that in there. Hey, let's end with this. You talked about the Golden Goose. In my opinion, they still look golden in talking about the U.S. women's team. And whether Carly Lloyd at 38 is one of those 18 or whether it's the new youngster from Stanford, I feel like they're golden. They're going to be challenged, but it's hard to see a team that's going to beat them in the Olympics. 
Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is uh, there's a smaller roster. And so someone like Megan Rapinoe that we saw, and look, we've seen in the past where Megan Rapinoe was brought to an Olympics and it backfired because she wasn't at 100%. She looked good the, in the games against Colombia, but listen, who, who didn't look good against the, uh, against uh, Colombia? So for Vladka Andonovsky right now, it, it, again, more champagne problems right now. He's got a core that is still functioning and uh, running on all cylinders and doing a great job, but he's also got cat coming into the thing, into the uh, equation and, uh, and, and, and a whole nother generation that has grown up watching this generation dominate, but is feeling it, feeling their, uh, uh, you know, feeling their oats and ready to go and uh, ready to challenge. And that's a good thing. Competition is a good thing for the established legends that we have uh, and for the young players that are coming up that want to take that, take that away and say, this is our time and this is our team. It's all, these are all good things to have uh, to, to see. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to stay on top, even for the U S women. And that, that's what makes them great is that their ability, even when they have done what is expected of them, they continue to do that. And, you know, now with the Olympics this, uh, this summer, it'll be interesting to see what they ultimately look at. I think it'll be a lot of the usual suspects right now, but usually what happens is the Olympics are kind of the end of the cycle, as you know, because it it comes the, the year after. And so now with this year gap, it's almost as if they might even look at it as the beginning of that next cycle. Uh, as opposed to the end. So, um, you know, you, when you talk about Megan Rapinoe or you talk about Carly Lloyd or players that are quote unquote old for, uh, for the game, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting if Vladka says, look, you had your time, but I need to move forward in order to make sure that I assure the next four years. And obviously that next cycle that involves that next world cup. Alexia, I said, I was going to end. I want to ask one more question because sure. I always like getting inside your head and you did so many great things and you, wrote it um and this is going to be hard for you because that means somebody that you really love you're not going to say his name but i'm going to ask alexi lalas to say and you mentioned chemistry as greg berhalter puts it together but you're in the huddle right for the olympics you're in the huddle for the world cup you're in the huddle for the revolution in kansas city and new york and everywhere in mls and over in italy but in all of these huddles who's the one player that was wearing the same uniform as you the one player where you're like, I'll be damned. I am so glad that guy is on my team for whatever reason. Yeah, so I get, I get asked a lot who the best player, American player I ever played with was. And it's not even a question. It's Tab Ramos. Uh, the, he was a man out of time. He was slumming it in, in many cases, playing with many of us, including myself. He was almost too good for us at times. I mean, he was thinking and doing things at a level that – many of us couldn't even comprehend and his ability to maintain possession was huge because at times we were under tremendous pressure. And so that outlet of having him was wonderful. His center of gravity and his first two quickness of steps, what was seemingly was off just basically his, his big toes was amazing in terms of the way that he got around and beat multiple players. If, if Tab Ramos was born years later and was of this generation right now, I, I love Christian Pulisic. Uh, I love what Weston McKinney's doing. Tab Ramos would be, I think, viewed in even a different echelon in terms of his ability. Great answer. Always great time with Alexi Lalas. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks, Alexi. Always a pleasure. Thanks.
Really enjoyed today's show. I hope all of you did as well. I want to thank Matt Spear and Dr. Brad Miller from Soccer Resilience, Meg Linehan, and the great Alexi Lalas. Also want to thank Bailey Coughlin, who's now helping with United Soccer Coaches, Sean Chevrolet, our great producer, Colin Thrash, and everybody at United Soccer Coaches, including each and every one of you for listening. For all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.